So this morning, I've got a, the privilege of introducing to you Roger Aurora, our morning speaker. He's from uh, right here. Where are you from originally, though? New York. New York. You've got that complexion. Just to be honest. You've got that complexion. You could be from anywhere in the world. When you see him, you're like, where is he really from? But he's an American. He's from here. And you'll, he'll explain that a little bit when he gets up here to talk. But when he's in uh, St. Thomas, you, you know, who you are and the different cultures and the different things there. It's absolutely amazing. So Roger actually served here as our youth director for many, many years. Uh, yesterday at Ed Woodmark's uh, funeral, a gentleman was here. Scott, what was his last name, Pastor Dick? Davis. He was here as well. He used to be the youth pastor here. I used to be the youth pastor here for a short time. Zach Cars is the youth. I mean, we've got youth pastors all over the place, right? <laughs> They're so, in trouble. You're huh? in trouble now. We're in, you're in trouble. So, <laughs> But it's my pleasure to introduce you to Roger Roy. He'll tell you more about himself and the ministry he's doing there and the fantastic stuff. So, Roger, would you please come and minister to us this morning? Give him a big round of applause. Zach, where's he at? There he is. Can't miss him. It, all the bad habits that Zach has, he learned them from me in Teens for Christ, so don't blame him. It's, it's my fault. But he just went to a conference, right? You went, you went over to, and man, Tim, I don't know about you, but us youth pastors look out for each other. Zach picked me up this awesome hat. Um, Man, with the logo and everything on it, I love it, Zach. Thank you for looking out for me. I don't, I don't know what happened. Did you get one? You didn't, you didn't get one? Okay. But he got me a cool hat. <laughs> I'm going to put it right here so I know to grab it. Um, oh, my goodness. I see the Hensons out there. Love you guys. Um, can we do something as a church family that we used to do? I, I just love it. Can we just stand up and greet one another? Just, just greet everybody. I want to come out and say hi, too. <laughs> All right, you can take your seat. I'm sorry, I would have been so distracted if uh, I wasn't able to do that because I look out here and I see so many family and friends and I tell you, that's what church is about, isn't it? Just being free and loving one another and uh, that's why I'm here this morning. Those of you who don't know me, I used to be the youth pastor here, but it's, there, there's so much more to share with you. I have a lot to share with you on what's going on in St. Thomas, but before that, I really want to share with you on how we even got there. And um, can, we, can we just pray this morning? Can we do that? Heavenly Father, Lord, as I uh, stand here before my family, before my church, before my pastor, Tim Lewis, and I'm proud to call him my pastor, Father, let this congregation see nothing but you. Let them see your work and what you've done. And Father, help me to be an encouragement to this body. Help me to be free enough to allow the Holy Spirit to come through and just filter out into the body of, this, of Christ, Lord, of this congregation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Something I used to do when I was here, and I'm going to continue that tradition, is uh, I always picked a youth that I thought needed stretching and, and molding to read the scripture. And I did that again. And I used to do this to her sister. And when I confronted her and said, hey, you're going to read the scripture this morning, she goes, my sister told me you might do that. <laughs> and she's going to come up here nervous but she's going to read the word of God for you this morning. Come on up. She's bringing a friend for moral support. Can we just stand while they read the scripture? Go ahead. Good morning, guys. Okay, so first of all, God's really been laying something on my heart to say because, as you can tell, probably I've been crying this whole time. Don't, I don't even know why. I was just, we did Regions Beyond, and then I literally just started crying, and God was like, you need to do this, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. No, no, and he's like, yes. So, first of all, last time that I was up here, I was, after it was after life, and I was talking about how 
when Satan is attacking you, you can just say Jesus and Jesus over and over again. But Friday night, Roger was talking about St. Thomas and how they don't have that opportunity to do that because some of them don't know Jesus. So it, like, really stuck in my heart that, like, not everybody knows Jesus and that I, there's, like, a lot going on right now, like, in my life and, like, everything else. And, like, I've just been letting Satan attack me over and over again and saying, instead of saying Jesus over and over again. So I just, like, again, encourage you all to just make sure that you're just saying Jesus over and over again because he's the biggest blessing in all of our lives. And I wouldn't be here right now without him. So I'm going to be reading, okay. so Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God and the Father and the Lord of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you, thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your love, in, well, in your labor promoted by love, in your endurance inspired by hope and love in Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, and that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You become imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Archaea, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report that what kind of reception you gave us. They tell, you, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God, the living and true God, to wait for his sons from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescued us from the coming wrath. Amen. Amen. See, you give him a round of applause. That's right. Amen. Amen. See, I, I never try to miss those moments that God uses all things for his good. And, and, and I don't believe in the future. I believe in the now. See, I, I, he said I used to be a youth pastor. I will never stop being a youth pastor. Because this church will not exist in the future without the now. Right? The warriors. That we have to start building up warriors. And the only way to build up warriors in Christ is to put them through the fire. Right? And allow them to be stretched and broken and molded and come up here and cry in front of their body and bleed in front of them. And to do battle and to read scripture. You know how scary it is to get up here and read scripture in front of the body of Christ? It's tough. I have an easier time walking out into my projects where I live and sitting down with complete strangers and just reading scripture to them than I do in the body of Christ. It's tough. You know, you sit there and you're staring at me and you're like, go ahead and mess up that word. <laughs> Mr. Theologian, go ahead, right? That's how you feel. And, and, and you, you know, you're not judging me. You know, I don't feel judged, but that's how sometimes the youth feel. She came up here and she came to me. She said, I had something to say. Don't tell me, tell them. You know? Amen. Amen. And yes, I have to be completely transparent with you. I absolutely love doing ministry overseas. And I got to tell you, it's different. And the reason for that is we're so free there. I got to tell you, when, when the first uh, mission I had to come up and preach, I was so trained to be within those 30 minutes, the 25 minutes, whatever we do, because we all have to get to IHOP before the next person, right? <laughs> Bob Evans, you know, and there I remember coming in and I was waiting for the pastor to sit down with me and say, hey, this is the time frame you have. This is when you're coming up. You know what he said to me? Nothing. He said, you sit there. You'll know when to come up. 
And I did. And I came up and I had my notes, right? And, and I, I put them down and, and, and I'm, I was within the 30 minutes. I felt really good. And I got off the, the, the stage and I went to go sit down and let them worship more. And, and they just stood there staring at me. And an older lady walked up and she said, is the Holy Spirit done speaking through you? And I was like, not really. Then you're not done. Get back up there. That is just how freeing the churches are outside of the United States. If you've ever been on a missions trip and spent time with Christians that don't live in the U.S., we don't have these time restraints. I'm laughing. He's saying 1245. We'll be out of here a lot sooner than that. I'm sorry. I got my timer. I know. I know. I'm in America now. And Paul said, I was all things to all people at all times, right? So for today, in the U.S., I'm going to be on time. How's that feel, all right? <laughs> and I'll make you feel good about it. But I have to share with you this morning. I'm not going to even look at my notes because I got to tell you, the message she just read to you, you know, and we think about Paul and how he even got to that point. I think it's important that you know how I got to this point. See, Paul wrote a beautiful message of encouragement to the Thessalonian people. But before he even got there, he went on his, his, his journey and he was beaten. He was spit on. He was hunted. He was discouraged. And at the exact time that he needed it, the Lord encouraged him with words out of Acts, where he said, Paul, don't quit. Don't give up. I have people here that love me, that stand for me. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. You speak boldly my words, and I am with you, and they will not harm you. Amen. And he was encouraged. And therefore went back. And when he sent Timothy on a salvage mission, because he was convinced that nothing was going well in Thessalonica. Nothing was going well with the Thessalonian people. He was convinced of that. And then when he received word that things were incredible, things were going well, he put pen to paper. And the encouraged Paul became the encourager. To the Thessalonian people, I got to tell you, that's each of you sitting here. Some of you don't know me, so I think it's fair that I tell you who I am and who my family is. This is my body. This is my church when I'm overseas, and they say, who are you affiliated with? I say, well, you know... Teens for Christ is non-denominational, but my church is Cable Road Alliance Church, and, and I have a family there. Amen. And that's who's praying for me back home. And that's how I got here. You need to know I'm only able to encourage you because I was encouraged at the right time by this body. See, what, what, those of you who don't know me, my name's Roger Arroyo. And my wife used to come here alone for a lot of years. In fact, that man sitting right there, Pastor Dick, he was the pastor here. When I did make an appearance, somehow he knew my name. And I had no idea how. Because my wife would come home and say, they thought I was a, I'm a single mom today, just so you know. you know. And they invited me, Andy all invited me to the single moms group, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and she didn't know me yet, you know. So it, this was in the 90s, you know, I'm, I'm old, yes. And uh, I would, when I would make an appearance, it started with the little things. I would walk through the door of this church trying to appease my wife. I was only coming here for her. And, and he would shake my hand at the door. He was always at the door. And he would shake my hand, and he, he would hold it for a second and look me in the eyes and say, Roger, I'm glad you're here today. That's it. 
And I would walk on. And, and the whole time as he was preach, and man, he's a wonderful preacher. He'd get up here and, and, and I would watch him and I would study him and I, and I would see the love come off of him for his people. And I would sit there and be like, how did this guy know my name? I knew he was praying for me. You know, the Lord revealed to me he only knows your name because he's praying for you to continue walking through that door. So my wife had a big mouth. (laughs) No, she had a big heart. She didn't quit. So it was this church that forged me in fire. And Dick stepped down and left, and I thought, well, that's my sign to not have to come back. Right, So he left, and I thought, he's gone, I'm gone. And my wife kept coming, so I kept coming. And then one day, as my daughter, my kids were dedicated in this church, my four children. My daughter Ashley, my son Cole sitting right there, and my two teenagers who live with me in St. Thomas, uh, Colin and Olivia, also were dedicated in this church and baptized. I was baptized in this church. And, and, And... it was my daughter. One day, she was old enough. I was laying in bed, going to uh, First Baptist Assembly of the Pillow, and um, <laughs> I was laying there. And as I'm laying there, my daughter, filled with the Holy Spirit as she has been her entire life, walked into my bedroom and slapped me on the face, grabbed my face, and said, "Daddy, why don't you come to church with me? Not us." With me? Don't you love God? I don't know, she was like eight years old. And I shoot her away. I said, go to church, go to church. And she left that bedroom. And immediately when she closed the door, I just started weeping and crying. And I was broken because I knew God set me apart for something. And I was fighting him. And I came Directly after they left, I got in my car, and I drove here. And I'll never forget, it was Ron standing at the front door now. And I walked in, and Ron had no clue who I was, not a clue who I was. And he looked at me, tears streaming. I cried all the way here from Delphus. And I got to the door, and he looked at me. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said these words. Do you have something to say this morning? To this day, he has no idea why he said that. Now, you know, Ron, he wasn't very free to give up the mic, right? <laughs> he, he just wasn't, right? Ron, Ron Jones was another pastor here. And, and you just know he wasn't the guy to say, you got something to say? And I said, I do. And out of nowhere, to this day, he still can't explain why he even did that. He didn't even talk to me. You know how scary that is, Tim? Oh, yeah. As a pastor, you're like, oh, you want to give testimony time? You don't know where it's going. Right? He'd had no clue, but he knew God was doing something in me. And he was aware enough to say, fine, it's not me. It's not my mission. It's, it's God's mission, and he's going to do whatever he needs to do. And he preached his sermon, stopped, and called me up. You remember that? Were you here that day? Some of you in the audience were here that day. That's when St. Thomas started. That's when my call started. And, and he called me up. And he, and he brought me down here and he handed me the mic. And I confessed all my ugly sins and dirty sins. You remember that? Right? And, and I didn't feel judged. I felt completely loved. And it didn't end there. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is huge in this church. You need to understand what this church really is about. Because it didn't end there. You know, I got a phone call. I thought, well, I confessed my sins and it was all over. And that was great. I'm just going to attend church and and everything's going to be good. Right? And I get a phone call from Tom Hall. I'm working for his competitor. And, 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 he says, and he says to me, hey, Roger, um, that was nice what you did, and you confessed your sins, but it doesn't end there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I got to confess them to you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh, and uh, he said no. 
He said, no. And, and as humble as Tom is, he's like, no, I've, I have plenty of sins to confess to you. you know? <laughs> and that's who he is. He goes, no, uh, 6 o'clock every morning on Tuesday, because I hear that's your day off, so he did some research. You're, you're going you're gonna to meet me in my office, and we're going to read scripture together. And now, I don't know why I said yes, because I'm a youth pastor. I hate mornings. Who, who gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning? Tom does, right? And, and it's already, his, his whole day, you know, is planned out. And, and uh, he's all ready to go, trust me. When you get there, I'm like, ugh. I drag in. He's like, hey, Roger. Right? And I'm just like, who is this dude, you know? And why is he so excited? And, and we sit down, and he reads scripture to me. Now, he heard my testimony, and most of you need to know, I, I didn't learn to read and write until I was in the 10th grade. I, I came from a very uh, gang-infested family. See, most kids join gangs. I was born into one. And the only thing I knew was how to survive. I was very good at math because I had to collect money. <laughs> right? and so, so I didn't have to go to school for that. I was just good at math. And I think my son got that from me. He's really good at math. He could just do it in his head. But anyway, I couldn't read and write until the 10th grade. And, and so to read out loud, even as an adult, was really tough for me, right? And, and, and then they found out I had dyslexia and all this stuff and, and words jumble up. And then I'm a weeping pastor, so I cry when I preach because I'm so humbled about what God has done in my life that he uses the silly things. To glorify his name. <laughs> he uses the simple things to show his glory. And I, can, I can't help it but rejoice with my tears. So then it fogs up. <laughs> my glasses fog up and the words are all jumbled. <laughs> and, and, and it's scary. But Tom, knowing this, would read it to me. And then he'd say, now you read it. And then I would read it. And, the, and there's something about reading off the pages of God's word that has so much power. That's why I have young people do it. Because what I'm convinced about is that they don't do it in their home, right? They do it on youth group nights, right? But when we challenge them to do something like that, that it becomes so much easier. So much easier to say, you know what, I want to read this. Because there's power behind it. And uh, so we did that for a while. He never asked me to work for him. You know that? I was kind of insulted. <laughs> because I would go places and, and other dealerships would be like, man, I really would like you to come work for me. And I was meeting with this guy in his office. He never would say, you need to come work for me. He never said that. It was, he never had an agenda. You know, I thought that, that Pastor Jones or Dick made him do that. You know he did that in his own validity? He just did it. He was busy, and he took time. He saw something in me. That's what the body of Christ is about. That's the power you have sitting here in this congregation. You know, some of you might be sitting out there thinking, God is calling me to something, and I'm too afraid to do anything about it. I was that guy. I was convinced that God was calling me to something, but I never wanted to say it out loud because I thought I wasn't good enough, smart enough, clean-cut enough, well-spoken enough. I thought there was no way he can use somebody like me. I would imagine that Paul thought the same thing in the same hour as God said no to him to the cities he was going to. Because that's what exactly happened. God was saying no to the cities Paul was picking. And the moment that Paul came into God's will... And went to the cities he wanted him to go. Paul, God encouraged Paul at the perfect time. And said, don't give up. 
Because I have many people here. And you will not be attacked anymore. Preach my word. You are my people. And now I'm encouraged. So I am here to encourage. As Paul encouraged. You know, I look out in the audience and I see Mr. Ruffner. And he is way too humble to tell you that him and I and his wife started a Lima Senior chapter together. My first call to any kind of youth ministry. I was horrible. He was awesome. I would, I would show up. And, and, and I was like just a fun kid, right? I was just a kid then. And I would show up and, man, he, had, he was regimented and Sandy was right. Reg- they, they had lesson plans and all this stuff. And I was like, let's play kick the can and let's run around. And, and, and he would hone me in. And, and, and uh, they were amazing to be around. And his wife, what a fireball. She was always like that. She was always like that as long as i known her. Amazing people. And I, I look out here and, and I, I see the Hensons who also saw something in me. And I remember Rob walking up to me and he says, and, and this is important for Rob, right? His kids are very important to him and who pour into his kids make a difference. And I knew that God was doing something amazing when Rob said, I, I'm going to allow you to minister to my kids, right? <laughs> He's like, God is doing something in you, and I trust what God is doing. And, and so you got my kids. You know, and he allowed my wife and I to be youth pastors to their, to their children who were awesome. Awesome. He was already building soldiers, right? And he was already building soldiers for the kingdom. And he was like, here, now take them to the next level. For him to trust me, I knew something was going on. And I know I'm missing some in here. And I see Mike Halsey and, and Doug Roser. And I remember Doug walking up to me and, and, and saying, you know, you need to become an elder. And I laughed because all the elders were old. <laughs> and I wasn't old yet. I think I was the youngest elder, right, on the board probably ever. And, and, and then they made it even funner because they said, you're going to be a shepherding elder. I was like, well, what's that? Oh, it's great, Roger. You're going to love it. And I did. But I was like, I'm not qualified for this. But they saw something that the Lord was doing. And they never quit at chiseling and chipping away at the hardness that was around my heart and, and, and said, you need to do this. And when he said, you need, he didn't even give me a, a, like an answer. Like, I couldn't say no to Doug. He just came up and he was like, you're going to do this. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm doing this. You know, I thought that's how church worked. Right? <laughs> you just you come, you confess, and now you're doing all kind of stuff. So be careful. Right? <laughs> but. But Doug said, you're going to be a shepherding elder. They went and proved it and improved me as a shepherding elder. And I would go and, and to the nursing homes. And I would, I would give a communion to our people who were there, who were still a part of Cable Road Alliance Church, but couldn't leave. I would do that. I would pray with them. I would go to the hospitals. And I was just like, Lord, what are you doing with me? It was a whirlwind. But none of that, none of that was possible without the encouragement that I received from this body. Look, you might be new here and you might be looking up here going, I don't even know who you are. Because I see so many new faces out there. But I got to tell you, you're an encouragement to me. Even to this day. You know, when I resigned from being youth pastor here, it was one of the most toughest decisions I ever made. It was a dream job. 
It's what I wanted to do. And then the elder board believed in me. They loved me. They nurtured me. And, 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 and the congregation came around me. And, and they were like, it, it was the most comfortable I've ever been in ministry. But I learned something. God never called me to be comfortable. He just never called me to settle in. He called me to build my roots deep. But he never called me just to relax and be comfortable in ministry. That's just not my calling. And when I went to the elder board and I said, I'm being called to be a missionary in Delphus, Ohio. <laughs> they looked at me and was like, what? <laughs> but they prayed and they believed. And they sat down with me and right here, you guys commissioned me to go to a church I had no business really going to. In fact, when they hired me, the first thing they said is, okay, you're going to be in, ordained through us. You're going to join us. And I said, no, nah, I can't take the job. I said, because I'm coming here as a representation of Cable Road Alliance Church. I'm coming here as a missionary. And they looked at me with this strange look. And I said, if you can't accept that, you can't accept me. And, and they were like, let us talk about this. Because if you know anything about a Methodist church, there's no way they would even agree to that. So you know it's the power of God that they hire a pastor who says, I'm not going to join you. <laughs> and I'm not going to join the Methodist movement. And I'm not going to be a part of any of that. But I'm going to be a part of your body. And I'm going to do what God has called me to do with young people. Are you okay with that? And they wholeheartedly agreed to that. Somehow, some way, and I was there for like five years, and, and God was using that moment for the moment I'm in now. He was prepping me, and I couldn't be prepped here any longer. You guys took me as far as you possibly can take me. And I got to tell you, I always thought and wrestled with the Lord why can't I just attend church there and preach over here? Why can't I just come and be with my family? And he was very clear that he was doing something here that I couldn't be a part of. He was putting you through the flame. He was pruning you. So the person that you encouraged could come back and encourage you. God is good. All the time, God is good. Amen. Amen. See, that's the difference between preaching here and over there. See, when, when, you, when God says something through somebody over there, everybody, don't hold back. Let your amen be your amen. Let your shout to the Lord be a shout to the Lord, not to me. So many times we, we want to hold back and we want to sit in our pews and, and leave for IHOP at, on the right amount of time for Bob Evans to get our food. Amen. But your food, <laughs> you know, you and I would be great friends if I was here <laughs> full time. But, but your food is right here. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Or Bob Evans alone. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Church, I want to encourage you this morning that the man standing before you is only here by the grace of God that allowed you to forge this man to who he is today. My family is only able to do what they do because of the way this church took their calling seriously. You know, I saw the babies being dedicated, and I immediately went back to when my children were dedicated. And this church said, we're here. My daughter struggles with, with her health, and this church, when I'm over there, is there for her. People in this church went and saw her when she was laying up in the hospital. 
when I'm stuck in St. Thomas and, and I want to be here with her. But this church has never gave up on that calling in me, in my family. And it was only by the grace of God that I'm here standing here before you to say what we're doing in St. Thomas. You know, and it's this church that I knew when I was called to do something very radical that I had to come back to and be launched from. And the Lord gave me that blessing. It was this church I had to come back to and say, I'm going somewhere. And it's this church that did not laugh at that calling because you knew because you've been with me. And you were willing to encourage me. It was this church when I said, I'm cashing in my 401k, I'm selling everything I own, and, and I'm putting it all into what God is calling me to do, and I'm asking you to support me. It is this church when we're sitting in St. Thomas, and we're looking at our finances, and we're saying we don't have enough. It's this church that steps up, and I look down, and I say, here it is. It's this church. When I pray for my daily bread, and that actually means something now. It's this church that dug down deep and said, you know, he may not be part of the alliance, but he's a part of this alliance. You have no idea how many times you have helped us meet our needs. You know, when you sell everything, cash everything in. I used to pray for my daily bread before. It doesn't mean as much as it does now. But it's people who have been a part of this church, who were a part of this body. It's funny, but most of my supporters don't even come to church here anymore. But that's how deep the roots of Cable Road runs. See, Cable Road got something that I think most churches don't get. When you say you're kingdom-minded and you're a kingdom-minded church, some churches, that's just words. But you were able to send your youth pastor away and trust in the Lord that he would have somebody else for you. You were able to pour into me and trust that everything was going to be okay. That's amazing. So I'm here this morning to be an encouragement to you. Look at each other in the pews. Look at each other. Please, turn and look at one another. Because the unity in the body of Christ is so much more than just words. There's so much action behind it. There's so much fire behind it. Can you turn my slideshow on? This is my family that are in St. Thomas. And you know, most churches in the States that I travel to and I say that I, I'm in St. Thomas, I usually get a chuckle and a laugh. But see, my family knows that I don't do anything unless the Lord directed me to do it. And I laughed when, so it's okay, when he said he was sending me to St. Thomas, I'm like, hey, finally something, Lord, you're giving me something, right? Yay! That is paradise. It's beautiful there. There's no doubt. There's absolute beauty, but it is a beautiful prison cell. That Satan has absolutely used the Caribbean to just corrupt people and make people lost and think that they're free. That's the most dangerous thing I've ever seen. People who think they are found and who are actually lost is scary. And I was convinced he was calling me to Puerto Rico. See, I'm Puerto Rican, and that's where my heritage is, and that's where my people are from. I used to spend summers there in Puerto Rico, and I was convinced 
He was sending my family to Puerto Rico. And we went on a three-week mission to Puerto Rico. And, and my wife and I stepped off the plane. And while I stepped off the plane, I knew exactly we were just there for vacation and to reconnect with family. I knew he didn't want me in Puerto Rico. I was crushed. I was crushed. I was like, okay, it's not Puerto Rico. I looked at my wife. She said the same exact thing. She says, it's not Puerto Rico. And it's a shame because Puerto Rico is really hurting economy-wise, and you can buy a really nice house in Puerto Rico for pennies on the dollar, you know? <laughs> so so I, I was being a little defiant, and I'm like, I got a real estate agent anyway, and we looked at some homes, and I just tortured myself is what I did because I knew the Lord didn't want me there. So I wasn't going to be disobedient. We came back. We prayed for a whole nother year, my wife and I, and um, one day, my, my Lord, my Father, just revealed something to me about my testimony that I have buried. You see, growing up in the, in the gang-infested family that I had, I had not many friends in that environment. But I had one friend who, by being my friend, lost his life because of me, because he was my friend. See, he was on the rival gang and we grew up as kids and as kids none of that matters right and then as you got older it just mattered and I don't say that young man's name in St. Thomas because that's where he's from and I woke up in the middle of the night never thinking of St. Thomas ever before and I woke my wife up and I pulled a map up on my phone and I said St. Thomas and she said what's that and I said, I think we need to go there. We went there for three weeks. The moment we stepped off the plane, I said, this is it. She said, yes, it is. We found a real estate agent, and it wasn't easy. The average home cost in St. Thomas is like $1.2 million to $900,000 because it is a huge tourist destination. It is. It, it just, it, it's a big tourist trap. So a lot of people buy homes there. To, to rent them out for $10,000 a week or whatever it is. So we went to the real estate agent and we said, we want to buy a house in the worst neighborhood where everybody lives. And she refused to show us homes there. She would say this, that, well, I, you would be okay, but your wife will not be okay. See, there's two different sides to St. Thomas. See, St. Thomas it, when you come and you get off the ship and they smile and they playing the steel drums and you get off and they hand in you drinks and it's great. But you, when you leave, it's not like that. They really don't like you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that is so harsh. <laughs> but they, they put a smile on their face because that's what they have to do. That's the only thing. They don't grow anything. They don't build anything. They don't do anything other than tourism. So if that ever leaves, so they like you, I'm sorry. Don't take that back. <laughs> they would be so mad if I said that out loud. <laughs> but that's what they do. So these people live in public housing because that's the only way they can afford to even live there. The indigenous people that live there are homes that were passed down from generation to generation that they just kept stacking up on top of each other and they all live in there. So Julie and I and my kids found a home in what they call the Tutu Housing Projects. It's Ras Valley and it's short for Rasta Valley. And here's the kicker. So we went to this house and the real estate agent said, I'm going to lock myself in the car now and here's the keys, go ahead and look at it. And so we went up there, and we got up there. My son and daughter, who were moving with us there, said, this is it. This is the house. I knew right away, I didn't want to say anything, because it's surrounded, it, the house sits here, and it's just surrounded by the entire community. And I knew that was the house. But my kids said it first. They said, this is it. They were picking out the rooms, and, and, and I was kind of laughing because it's not what they're used to. It's really bad shape, and they were, like, all excited about it, and I was like, this is only from the Lord because they did not want to move at all, and we wind up buying that house, and it's just a miracle how it even worked out. You know, I bought the house, and the guy turned down my offer, 
and a real estate agent called him, which that wouldn't happen here in the States, and said, look, he's not a colonizer, because that's what they call white people who moved there, by the way, colonizers. And he said, he, they're, not, they're not colonizers. He's actually a pastor who wants to move there and help the young people. And the guy came back and said, okay, I'm going to knock off some of his offer and just go ahead and sell it to him. And he took some money off and, 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 and sold me the house. Now, our first closing was the first hurricane. So, so my kids, who don't want to move, right, are like, yeah, we prayed for this, right? <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you saying? Right? So the first hurricane's coming. I'm supposed to close on the house. They call and said, legally, we can't close on the house. Hurricane's coming. Good luck. And, and so I'm like, what? <laughs> so hurricane comes, and they get a direct hit of a Category 5 right over this little tiny island, right? Direct hit. Just wipes everything out. I'm like, this house is gone because it, it's a concrete structure on the bottom and a wood structure on top. I'm like, so it's just, it's, it's fried, right? The real estate agent who is not saved, not a Christian, but is absolutely loving the fact that we're doing what we're doing, gets in her car right after the hurricane, drives over telephone poles and wires, and it takes her what should take her about five minutes to get to. Uh, took her about two hours, and she gets there, and she says, your house is standing. I said, awesome. So some cu couple days pass. They schedule the next closing. They schedule the next closing, hurricane number two, <laughs> on the exact day. And I look at my kids, I'm like, Rrr. right? I'm like, I'm not giving up. You know that, right? So <laughs> here it comes. Hurricane number two, we already signed the papers, and you already have to have insurance over there. That's how they do it before you even buy the house, by the way. So insurance is set up, and they say, we can't close, we can't close. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know. So the hurricane comes. I'm like, this time, the house is gone. I'm like, there's no way it was stronger. The second hurricane, direct hit, eye of the storm, probably right over my house, Right? And I'm convinced the enemy just doesn't want us there at all. I call the real estate agent. I get through to her finally. Towers are down now. But somehow we get communication. She says, I'm going there right now. And like three or four hours later, she texts me back. And she says, there's a bunch of divots in your... Now, this is her words. She says, there's a bunch of divots in your yard. And I said, what do you mean? divots in my yard and she says there has to be something to this God that you follow because I'm convinced his fingers are the divots and his hand was holding your house down because everything around you is wiped out and the only thing that looks clean is your house she goes not even a scratch not even a mark you can clap on your house it was crazy. My wife and I looked at each other, so I called, and I called, tried to reschedule the closing, and couldn't get a hold of anybody. Everything was down, right? So everything was gone. The, the title office, all that was wiped out. Lo and behold, in October, it was the craziest thing that I get a phone call and says, you're late on your mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was awesome. I was like, I don't have a mortgage anymore. We sold everything. No, no, you have a house in St. Thomas, and you're late on it. And I was, they were like, 17 days. I was like, what? So somehow the paperwork got pushed through right before the storm, and then the mortgage company was afraid I was going to sue them, but they were confused by my excitement about owning the home in St. Thomas. So it was a lot of miscommunication. I'm like, yeah, great. That's awesome. They're like, uh, dude, we need to talk to your lawyer. I'm like, no, no, this is awesome. We're, we're moving December 1st. And uh, we got there, and we helped with the neighborhood cleanup and everything. And I, I got to tell you what the Lord is doing in St. Thomas It's only possible by his people who pray for somebody he loves.
that you love. And he loves you back. Flip to the school slide for me. I already went, okay, so St. Thomas consists of 14 schools, public schools, two high schools, three middle schools, 11 elementary schools. And uh, those schools, they look nice in those pictures. Those are old pictures that I got off of the web. I should have took real pictures, but they are not good at all. They, the, the government there is absolutely failing our young people, failing them. If they don't go to a private school, they don't get a very good education. And then I have kids who come to TFC who have great parents. So what they do is all they can afford to send them to the public school. So they go and get their education. Then they do a homeschool education as well to keep them up to date. So a lot of them can get to college and things like that. So it is not easy. We have teachers leaving the island all the time because the government will bounce their checks or, you know, they, they just don't have the money to pay them. And it's just crazy. So go ahead and flip. This is... Uh, they also have 10 private schools and one university. So the private school on the top is where my daughter goes, and the bottom school is the university, okay? So you can see how they treat the private schools. The average cost for a private school in St. Thomas is $28,000 a year for each kid. They don't care how many kids you bring, right? I was so wrestling about where to send my daughter, and I knew she couldn't just do homeschool like my son. My son is thriving in homeschool, but she's a social butterfly. She really needs to be, if you guys remember Olivia, she needs to be around people, right? She's kind of like her dad in that, in that aspect. She just needs to be around people. So we were trying to send her to schools. It wasn't working out, and my wife and I walked into this school and sat down with the superintendent and said, my daughter needs to come here, but we can't give you a dime. I mean, we're broke, right? <laughs> and he said, sit down. So we talked. He can care less what I was doing with Teams for Christ. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't care about it. He just wanted to know about us. So we talked, and lo and behold, the Lord made a way for her to go here. He asked me, what can we afford? I told him, thinking there's no way, right? There's absolutely no way he's going to accept this. It's not even a fraction. It, it shouldn't even exist on the number. Of, I don't know what they do with the money I give them, okay? I just don't understand it. But we, he said, we're going to make a way for your daughter to come here. So she goes to this school. And uh, she made the um, um, national volleyball team as a St. Thomas resident. She's thriving. She has traveled more than her father. She travels with this uh, national volleyball team all over, playing all different countries. She's been to Jamaica. She's been everywhere playing all these countries. It's, it's amazing to watch what God is doing in her through this. It's, it's pretty cool. And she's also picking up an island accent. I'll catch it once in a while. And I'm like, who's this? But anyway, uh, flip to the next slide. These are the three chapters that this church was able to help me start. I learned something, and Doug will laugh, and I know you will laugh, but I used to be something of a long ranger. <laughs> look, look at him laughing, because I think he dubbed the, the phrase. <laughs> but I, I used to be like, if I'm not going to get help, I'm just going to make it happen kind of guy, right? And I, I would just do it. And, and that this church... Part of my growth taught me you just can't do it alone, can you, Tim? You just can't do it alone. And this is the team that the Lord has helped me build in St. Thomas. So St. Paul Baptist Church, I preached there a lot um, on a lot of Sundays. And then Ebenezer Baptist Church and then uh, Faith in Christ Fellowship. That, that is the first church that we had any contact with. Amazing Pastor, uh, Pastor Thomas right there sitting right beside me, amazing guy. He comes to me and he says, look, I'm so for what you're doing. I just want to abolish my youth group. Go ahead and train me. And he just became an open vessel, abolished his youth group. He is now training his students as Teens for Christ students and putting them out there into the community when they get saved. And, and then he, he's getting so kingdom-minded thinking when kids are excited about coming to his youth group, the first question he asks is, what church do you normally attend? And he's calling that youth pastor and saying, look, your kid's coming here, but I'm making sure they don't miss nothing in your church. 
It's amazing things happening. You know, and it's so kingdom-minded thinking, but he, he went ahead and did that. Flip to the next side. Since we started the chapter in uh, St. Paul, we have had 25 salvations in that, in that part of the community. These young people at the bottom here, amazing soldiers. Look, something I didn't share with you early on. Uh, they are a resistant people. They do not like change. They don't like people telling them what to do or what they should do. The, the island was populated by slavery, but that was a mistake by the Dutch because what happened is the Dutch brought them over for slave labor and then quickly were outnumbered. So there was like 300 white people to 3,000 black people, and they figured out real quick that you were not going to keep me a slave. I will just fight you. And then the Dutch figured out real quick, if we don't become friends and work together, then you're just going to kill us. So they resisted slavery. They, they were not slaves. So it, it became a slave port, and it stopped being a slave port real quick, and they made it a free port, and, and it had been a free port ever since. So the people of St. Thomas are a resistant people, and, God, and, and Satan was using that resistance for evil. God is going to use that stubbornness for good. He's going to take that, and this is what I'm convinced about. If you can flip to the slide with the, with the map of Cuba and all that, flip back. Okay, so here is what the vision that God has given my wife and I for St. Thomas. You won't laugh anymore when you hear this, when I'm living in paradise, because I am. I live in paradise, it's beautiful, but you won't laugh anymore that there's a missionary in St. Thomas, right? Because, see, Cuba, we've had 65, just this year, just this year alone, we've had 65,000 Cubans come through St. Thomas. It is so corrupted. If you get a St. Thomas driver's license, guess what you are? A U.S. citizen. You can go anywhere, right? So it's so corrupted. The Cubans have figured this out. The Haitians have figured this out. The Dominicans have figured it out. And they're coming across. And Puerto Rico is such a hot mess that they just skip Puerto Rico. And they're coming to right to St. Thomas. They're getting that little license. We've had 65,000 Cubans this year. No one knows where they're at. Let me tell you, they're in Miami. They're everywhere else other than where they were supposed to be. We have a huge immigration problem going on over there. In fact, my wife has befriended, make sure this part's not recorded, please. And so about 100 total, but on St. Thomas, we're right now we're about 30 to 40,000 strong in population. Since the storm, lots of people fled. So I want you to imagine 65,000 people coming through this little island and getting a driver. You know how you get a driver's license in St. Thomas? This will crack you up because there's accidents all the time. And, and we pray every time we get in the car because they cannot drive. And the fastest you can go on the island is 45. 45 is like going 80 on 75 there. It's mountainous. And we drive on the left. And the roads are not good. So they're, you know. But when you go there, they only keep you on the tourist roads. We call them the tourist roads because those are the ones they patch. And, and those are the roads you only see. And, and it's funny because I told this story that, um, and I can't wait to tell him face to face, but I want to tell him without insulting him, right? So, so uh, one of my supporters is, is Harold Jackson. He's awesome. And he said, oh, Roger, I've been all over St. Thomas. This is the best thing, right? He goes, when I went to St. Thomas, I paid, you're laughing because you know where I'm going with this. He paid the cab driver and said, drive me around the island like we're relatives, and the cab driver said, sure, and took him to a place. And, I, and Harold said to me, you got to go to this place. It's on top of a mountain. It looks over the whole island. It's the highest point. It's pretty awesome. But tourists really don't go there. And, and I get there. That's the biggest tourist trap in the world, right? And, and, and when you talk to the cab drivers, they, uh, by the government, are funded, and they will lose their job if they take them any, take you anywhere other than the tourist roads and the tourist beaches, right? Because all you got to see is beauty and then leave. They don't want you, if they take you through the neighborhoods we actually live in, they will actually lose their job. And that's the only, only source of income. So I laughed when Harold told me that. He goes, oh, he took me all over. I'm sure he did. <laughs> but he stayed on those perfect roads. But anyway, 
um, how you get a driver's license in St. Thomas is this simple. I have one, right? So I write a note saying that Tim can drive. And I write this note, signed, Roger Royo, driver's license number, blah, blah, blah. And I hand it to Tim. Tim takes this, goes into the license bureau, and says, can I take my driver's test, which is no driving test, just a little written test with like 10 questions. Yep, I know where the steering wheel is and, and, and the brake. And he fills this out, he passes it, and he hands the note in, and he gets a driver's license. It's literally that simple. So <laughs> I can tell you, <laughs> you know, so you got people driving who've never driven before. It's, it's a crazy thing. But um, uh, flip to the slide uh, at the end, my team. Because I'm going to wrap up. I have two slides here. This team came down. Now half of those kids from Teens for Christ, absolutely amazing, uh, came down, painted my wall, um, and painted the church that I do some work in, painted the ceiling. They did some amazing things. Now the, some of these kids were kids that went on a cruise ship and came to St. Thomas. They said, oh, I've been to St. Thomas. And then... They seen St. Thomas for real, and was like, I had not a clue. Not a clue. And, and a couple of them said, Roger, I, I need to apologize to you, because I was one of the ones that laughed where you went. This is amazing. You know, and I believe God is going to use this little tiny island to affect and use the people's stubbornness, because when they accept Christ, they are all in. And there's no ripping that out of them. Right When they turn their life over, they're like, how come this isn't all our jobs? That's exactly what my kids ask. When they accept Christ, they're like, how come we're not all doing this? How come we're not all screaming this from the mountaintops? Roger, why were you so soft in telling me this? They literally say that to me. Don't beat around the bush. We need to tell them. They need to know this Savior. It's an amazing thing, and I'm seeing this, and I'm watching this, and they're going to take the gospel throughout the world from this little tiny island, and they're going to go all over to Cuba. They're going to go to places you can't go, because they can go, and just spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Show the slide of my home. Oh, that was my other team, you guys. I didn't want to skip that, but this is my home. Uh, that's our house right there. That's the wall that they painted. See that little white house right there on the, on the hill? I have a ton of fruit trees. I absolutely love it. I have like four mango trees, banana trees, and it's such a ministry because I pick them and I hand them out to the community. It's an amazing thing. They love my trees, right? They say I have the best mangoes. And, and they, somehow the Lord spared my coconut trees, my mango trees, my banana trees, and all my fruit trees. Then everyone else is uh, demolished. But it's such a ministry. I pick them and I come down and it opens up doors. Opens up so many doors and I hand them and they sell them. And I'm like, go sell them, sell them, sell them to the people coming off the ships. And they love it, right? So I share that. But uh, this is the, my, my friends that came down, helped me rewire the entire house. We had a ton of hurricane damage. Um, so we're still in the transition. We slept on air mattresses for a year. It was horrible. If you sleep on an air mattress for a week, you're going to die. <laughs> I'm just serious. <laughs> I was like, Lord, this is, this is just terrible. And it was people in this church that heard I was sleeping on an air mattress and was like, no, no. And they would send money, go buy a mattress with this exact money. And then I would laugh because a mattress that cost here over there is about triple. <laughs> so we'd have to save up. It's insane. But now we got mattresses and it's, it's really good, nice and awesome and pillows and stuff. So we're, we're cleaning up. Um, part of what we're doing is if we clean up our area, we believe that action will, will, will just fester through it, and it is working. My neighbor is doing all kind of work next to me. It's insane. And every time she sees me out there scraping and painting or building something, and okay, here's the funny part that the body will get. Those of you sitting here that know me, what was the one thing my wife would never let me have? Yes! <laughs> Tools. And now, somehow, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. I could fix all kinds of things. I did a starter in my Jeep. I changed the starter, and the starter went out. I did that. And I'm like, ha, 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 you know? And I, I put new flooring in. I actually did that. <laughs> my wife left 
She was so nervous. She came back to the States. Just do the flooring. She came back. She goes, it's beautiful. How is this possible? And I'm like, I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm a carpenter. <laughs> it was like, the Lord's amazing. I'm buying tools. And she's like, yay. And I'm shining them. It's great. Anyway. <laughs> but that's just the power of the Holy Spirit that, that he just does. He just somehow he knows the need. And, and I'm YouTube certified on everything. Right? <laughs> So I, I go to YouTube, and I'm like, bam, I could fix this, whatever it is. My neighbors actually call me. They don't know me very well because they're like, hey, Roger, come over here and look at this motor with me. And we go over, and I stare at the motor. I'm like, huh, it's not starting. And he goes, no, what are we going to do? I'm like, we're going to start it. Lord, I'll be right back. And I go over, and I YouTube it, and I come back, <laughs> and they're like, man, you're just incredible. And I'm like, if you knew me at Cable Road, you would have not said that. You know? <laughs> there was one group in this church that they wouldn't let me be a part of, and it was the anything maintenance. They wouldn't let me touch nothing, right? So anyway, I tell you all that to, to tell you that you guys are amazing. And I end there, and I hope that you understand what an encouragement you've been to me. And I hope this morning I was able to be just a fraction of the encouragement that you have been in my life. None of this is possible without the Lord using you to forge me in fire. I'm only in St. Thomas, away from two of the best kids in the world, that I absolutely love, a family that's sitting in the back somewhere, and friends and relatives. It's only possible because you prepped me for this. You didn't allow me to be comfortable. You said, live your calling. And I'm saying that to you. Cable Road, Alliance Church, you have so much more to offer the world, not just Lima, Ohio. God put you through the fire. And you came out the other side. Stronger, better, bolder, fresher, newer. And you got to be ready to fight. The fight, not of flesh and blood. That's not our fight. Our fight's not other churches. Contrary to your belief, your fight is with the evil one. And if we don't get on our knees every Sunday, every day, and fight that battle, we're losing ground. There are people going to hell. This has to be a church that is ready to be encouraged so they can encourage there are people sitting here. I was the one sitting there listening to people up here preaching, going, they can't be me. There's no way it could be me. I have kids. I have responsibilities. I have money to make. But I'm telling you, if God's calling you, get out of your seat. Raise up and allow the people around you and the Holy Spirit to fill you and put you through the fire. In Jesus' name, amen.